chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, we'll be in verses 10 through 23 this morning, and we will con- conclude the book of Philippians that we've been in for a couple of months now. And I hope you'll also take your bulletin, and there'll be a white folded sheet of paper in there with uh, notes for you this morning, and I hope those will be helpful for you as we walk through this Remaining study on Philippians. I want to ask you two questions this morning. I believe that these are the two main points that Paul is getting to as we continue on this themes on reflections on Christian maturity. Two main questions. One, have you learned the secret of contentment? Have you learned the secret of contentment? And then two, have you learned the blessing of Christian partnerships? Have you learned the blessing of Christian partnerships. I think these are the main things that Paul is getting to this morning as he concludes this sweet letter to this congregation that has meant so much to him. Will you stand with me as we read these verses? Beginning in verse 10 of Philippians chapter 4, Paul says to the people of Philippi, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. It's not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, for this intimate interaction between the apostle and his people, his friends, Lord, his partners. Thank you for the things that Paul teaches us about himself, the things that you have taught him, how to be content in any and every circumstance. Lord, that you're sufficient no matter what we're facing. Father, help us to learn the blessing of Christian friendships and Christian partnerships. Lord, the sharing of one another's gifts, talents, uh, resources. Father, I pray that we would fellowship together in you in a deep way as we see occurs between Paul and the people in Philippi. And through it, we know you better. Thank you for your grace to us. Speak to us now through your word, through your Holy Spirit, and we pray that our hearts would be changed and our church would be changed, and then the world would be changed. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Amen. As we contemplate these two questions this morning, and even this whole passage, you know, you'll notice that there's no reference to the cross, per se. There's nothing about Christ's death on behalf of our sins, necessarily, no specific reference. But I hope that as we all seek to hear what Paul's saying here, that you know, when we study the secret of contentment, the reason that Christ is enough is because we have become part of Christ. See, what I'm trying to say is that if you don't know Christ, then you can't learn the secret of contentment. If you haven't been forgiven of your sins and the Holy Spirit doesn't dwell in you, then you can't know the secret of contentment. So while there's no reference, specific reference, to Christ and salvation, please Hear this this morning, friend, that if you don't know the salvation of Jesus, then these teachings will be very difficult and impossible for you. All of these teachings are within the teaching of salvation, that in Christ we can learn contentment, we can be empowered by His grace. And then, get this, as we can join together in this message of salvation, that God sent His Son to die so that we might have life, you know, we can get together in that, can't we? <laughs> That's something to get together in, and then we're able to work together. But if you haven't bought into that message, friends, it's going to be difficult for you to know the blessing of Christian relationships and Christian partnerships. So hear this from the beginning, that while there's no reference to the cross, there's no reference to salvation, that if you haven't bought in, if you haven't trusted, bowed the knee, friends, if your sins haven't been forgiven, then I urge you to start there. And then all of this will begin to make much more sense. So at the end of our time together, I hope that if you don't know Christ, that you will take the opportunity and that you will talk with someone about what it means to be in relationship to Christ and then what that means for us as a body, as a people together. So... Let's get into this passage this morning. Have you learned the secret of contentment? This is what Paul gets to in verses 10 through 13. He tells the people of Philippi, I've rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Basically what's happened is, is the people of Philippi have sent a gift to Paul through a guy named Epaphroditus. If you were here several weeks, weeks ago... Byron did a teaching on Epaphroditus. The people of Philippi sent a gift by means of him, and now at the end of the letter, Paul is getting to giving thanks for the gift that they have sent to him. But he says, at one, you, you weren't concerned, but you had no, no opportunity. We, we don't know the exact circumstances going on here, but for some reason, whether it's where Paul was, they weren't able to travel to get a gift to him where he was at some point. So at some point, Paul says, you were really concerned for me, but you weren't able to send a gift, but now I'm rejoiced that you've been able to partner with me again in this way. Now, notice what he says next. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret. I wonder if we've learned that secret. What is that secret? There are two aspects of this that I want us to see. First, that contentment is learned. It's not in, 
inherent. It's not innate. It's not something we just have. Even for Paul, the super apostle, he met Christ on the road to Damascus in a vision. Yet he says it wasn't that he just got it. It was that he learned it. Contentment is something that's learned. It's not just innate to us. Even in becoming a Christian, it's not something we just automatically have. Now, sure, there are some people who are, their personality lends themselves just to be happier or more content than others, but contentment, full contentment, needing nothing but Christ is something that all of us have to learn. And how did he learn this? Well, experience. He experienced the presence of Christ in such a diversity of situations that he knew Christ to be sufficient in anything and in everything. Look, he he emphasizes this in the text. Whatever situation I am, I know how to be brought low. In other words, I know how to be humbled in, in the sense that I don't have enough. For Paul, he says in other places that they, all they needed was food and clothing. And with that, they would be content. What Paul's saying here is they didn't even have that. They were lacking in the necessary things. And so he knows how to be brought low. But he also knows how to abound. Paul knows how to have too much. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty, of having more than enough, and then having not enough. Paul's faced such a variety of situations that he knows that Christ is faithful within all of them. Paul learned contentment through experience. So I hope that we see this morning that God may not teach us contentment all in one experience. Some of us may say that we're used to having little, right? We never have too much, do we? Some of us have gone on just a minimal budget for a very long time. And so we're learning through having little. I wonder if you are content with that yet. Has God brought you to a place of contentment where you don't need more? You're okay with having little, even not enough. And then on the other end, have... What would you do with having too much? Paul says that even in having too much, he was content. Now, what what does this mean? I think it's important for us to see that contentment is not just about saying no to stuff. It's not just about saying no to stuff. You see, Paul was able to funnel resources when they were given to him into places that they were needed for the kingdom. And then he was able to work hard when they were not given to him. You'll see through different epistles that in some places Paul worked with his hands. He built tents. He used his ability. But then in other places he was funded, such as through the people of Philippi. So Paul was able to adjust to these different circumstances. Let me just mention one way in which Paul might have funneled resources. Did you know that even the manuscripts for producing the Bible, like a book like Philippians, were very expensive. The book of Luke required approximately 2,800 denarius, the resource in Rome. 2,800. And an average worker received one of those a day. One of those a day. And so a book like the book of Philippians, just to produce it, was very expensive. And so just... By implication here, what this means is that when Paul received too much, he was able to funnel that into ministries for the extension of the gospel and for the kingdom. We'll get into this more a little bit later. That It's interesting, isn't it, that Christian work requires money. 
funds. So Paul learned contentment through a variety of experiences. He experienced not having enough, and then he experienced, not ha- he experienced having too much. And within all of them, he says, I'm content. I'm, I'm fine. I wonder if you can say that same thing. I think some of us, we're, we're just used, we're almost addicted to either being poor or to having too much. And we couldn't go without either one or the other. And what Paul says is, I, I can do either one and I'm completely satisfied. And we need to ask ourselves where we are in that. But So contentment is learned. It's not innate. It takes a, a process. We don't need to be hard on ourselves. So when we sense a bit of anxiety in ourselves, we need to be patient and we need to be trusting Christ and letting Christ teach us within those variety of experiences. But then also, contentment is empowered, not self-willed. So it's learned, it's not inherited, but then it's empowered, not self-willed. Please don't hear an extreme here. Like, you don't need to work at it. That's not what I'm saying. But there were those during this time called Stoics. They were Stoic philosophers and they were very popular. And contentment was the essence of all virtues for these people. Paul actually uses their word here to describe a, a, a Christian virtue. It was the essence of virtues for the Stoics. But the Stoics, they were wise people who had made themselves independent of all things and all people. They relied only on themselves. Only on themselves. And they thought this was a virtue. We use the word Stoic to refer to a person who who has no emotion. Just kind of a stone cold face. and, And that's what these people were. They thought it was a virtue to be independent of all things or all people. And that's not what Paul is saying. It's not this just self-will. That's not all it is. Paul says it's empowered. He says, I can do all things through the one who is strengthening me. So, Paul's not saying we don't notice it when we go without a little bit, when we have less than we need. He's not saying we don't notice it when we have more than we need. But what he's saying is that through the empowerment of Christ, we can adjust to those varying circumstances and that we can delight. We can put our, our faith only in Christ and be dependent only on Christ. You know, I think it's interesting that right before this is when Paul said, don't be anxious about anything but pray about everything. How do you think Paul learned that? Maybe it's when he didn't have enough food. When... There was a tendency to get anxious. And so Paul learned to not be anxious, but to pray about needs. You see, we want to see that it's not just ourselves. It's not just us getting stronger in ourselves, but it's Christ empowering contentment. The word that Paul uses here is the word for dynamite. Christ empowering. You see, Christ is inside us. And he builds up the strength that's like dynamite. Now, we might not feel it. Sometimes it'll be just enough. It'll feel like just enough. But what we need to know is that Christ is within us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he will give us strength to endure and even to delight in whatever circumstances we're in. That his power doesn't run out. So contentment, it's learned, it's not innate. And then it's empowered, it's not self-willed. 
It's not a lack of emotion or a, a lack of even noticing it, but it's Christ empowering us and teaching us. Now, how does this passage apply? I searched this on Google. I just typed in Philippians 4.13. And the first thing that, well, the list of things that came up was MMA, mixed martial arts, if you're not familiar with it, tattoos. MMA tattoos. And so I clicked on it, just interested. And a lot of the MMA fighters have Philippians 4.13 tattooed on them. I guess if I was getting in a ring with my life being threatened, I would want to claim the verse too, right? I was thinking, Mr. Al, after our elders meeting on Tuesday, that you and me and Dr. David could go get one and maybe get into this. <clears throat> Is that what the passage applies to? Let's ask how Paul applies it. Do you know that Paul, if we read, he accomplished some pretty amazing things, right? Even in Philippi, there was a woman, a girl, walking around with a demon, and he turned around and cast out this spirit, this demon. Yet it's weird that Paul, when he applies the verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he doesn't talk about his ability to cast out demons or do these incredible things. Instead, he talks about Christ empowering him to endure the worst and hardest of circumstances. Isn't that interesting? Wouldn't you have chosen to apply it elsewhere? You see... The passage doesn't apply to our fantasies and Christ's ability to empower us to accomplish these otherwise impossible feats. Not to impress people or just fulfill our dreams. Christ came to make us like Him. He came so that we might die and we might follow Him and become like Him. And so maybe what it means that Christ empowers us to do all things is that on the path of us laying down our lives, He will give us joy in the most difficult of circumstances. He will show Himself sufficient in anything and everything. Surely this enabling power is something we can all apply to our lives. Students, I wonder where you can apply this to your life. I know there are pressures to be not like Christ. I know there are pressures for you to conform to a different image, to the image of the world and not to the image of God. Maybe this verse would apply to you to say that you don't have to cave in to the pressure. That you can be strong through the power of Christ in you and that you can be faithful. And no matter how much they mess with you or make fun of you, it's okay. Christ is there to empower you and to even give you joy in the midst of that. Parents. However difficult the circumstances may be with children or with the busyness of your life, maybe it's Christ will empower you to be faithful, to endure with joy without being negative. I'm sure Tim Tebow would love to be able to claim this verse as meaning he'll become the best quarterback in the NFL this year, and maybe he will, but not, probably not likely. But if he doesn't, isn't the verse still true? I heard a thing with Tebow just this last week where a man had criticized him and said he needed to just get off the Jets team. It was an ESPN analyst. And regardless of what you think about Tebow as a football player, I think he set a pretty good example as a Christian. He said he's a good man, and I pray God blesses him. He said those things, he said I may, I just, all I can do is go out and do my best, and I hope, it's, I, hope I do well. 
maybe that is closer to how Philippians 4.13 should be applied. So, it's Christ-enabling power to endure whatever circumstances and to be joyful in Christ, to see that He is sufficient. So, contentment. Have you learned the secret? Friends, it's learned. It's not innate. It's going to take time. Hopefully, through the variety of experiences you're going through, you are seeking Christ, and in that, you'll learn contentment through time. And then it's empowered. It's not self-willed. It's not raw, brute strength. It's Christ in you, giving you the strength to be content in Him. The second question, have you learned the blessing of Christian partnerships? It's interesting that Paul talks about contentment and says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. It's kind of like he's, I really, I don't need your gift, but thanks. Anyway, is that, is that what Paul's saying? No, he, he's teaching the people of Philippi and at the same time saying that Christian friendship is such a blessing, even to the super apostle who's learned to be content. The gift, the f- gift of friendship is still a remarkable blessing to him. I've said Christian partnerships, and the word relationships is easier, but I hope to, you understand this, that in Christian relationships there's an exchange of resources and gifts so that the gospel can be more effectively spread. And so I hope that you see that even here, we all have, we have Christian relationships, right? But that Christian relationship should be more than just a relationship. It should cost you something. You share gifts, you share resources. Whatever it is that one of you has and the other doesn't, you share those things so that the gospel can be more effectively spread. And so this isn't just about a relationship. This is a partnership in which we give ourselves on behalf of one another. Have you learned about this blessing? There are three aspects of this blessing. First, sanctification is shared. Sanctification is shared. This is in your notes, and I hope you'll write these things down. The next you'll see is needs are shared, and then lastly, everyone benefits. First, sanctification is shared. We learn from what they're learning. You see what Paul's doing in verses 11 through 13 and talking about contentment? He's teaching the people of Philippi. He's using his experience, sharing it with them to, to encourage them. Say, this is what I'm learning. I hope you'll benefit, benefit from this as well. So that at some point, or even now, the Philippians are going through a situation in which they don't have enough Or maybe they have too much and they're putting their hope in those things. And Paul wants to say, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You see, the sanctification, the growth is shared through the partnerships of believers. We learn from what they're learning. Many of us have experienced the encouragement of God's faithfulness in a friend's life just through the sharing of a story, just through meeting together and hearing what God's doing in each other's lives. This is what's happening. Through this partnership, this relationship, we're learning from what they're learning. I can't help but think about Chris Mott or others who have come up here on stage and they've come and visited after they've been away on mission. Eddie Wu came up and talked about China. We talk about Uganda. And we're learning from what they're learning. This is the blessing of Christian partnership. Sanctification, growth is shared. This morning I listened to a um, 
podcast on persecution.com. It's a part of Voice of the Martyrs. And there was a lady from Turkey who was sharing her testimony from her husband being killed for his faith. She's a believer as well. Her family for some time contemplated moving into a part of Turkey in which their life would be threatened because of their faith, but in which there aren't many believers. And so when considering whether to move their family into this territory, she says she thought of Peter. When Peter remember when Peter rebuked Jesus when Jesus said he was going to go to the cross? And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. She said, she said those that were trying to discourage her from going, that was the voice of Satan, not the voice of God. Sometimes we must lay down our lives so that others would know the gospel. So when they went into this territory, they went to Turkey, and then her husband was eventually killed. And she says that Jesus opened her eyes to see that death is victory. She didn't prefer the suffering, but it's for Je- if it's for Jesus, then she rejoices in it. Her husband was burned to death, and she said she didn't prefer the fl- flames, but if it was for Christ, then she would rejoice in the flames. And she said only the Holy Spirit can comfort their hearts. After five years, she said it's still difficult, but she said it's victory. It's worth it. I wonder if we could benefit from listening, partnering with people like that. People who are sacrificing their own families so that more people can know Christ. I wonder if you're growing in any way like that. Friends, we need to partner with people all over the world because God is working all over the world and it will result in the shared sanctification, the challenge of our lives. So sanctification is shared. Secondly, we grow as we give. Look at verse 19 and what Paul says. They have given to him, right? They've given him a gift. And Paul says in verse 19, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Please look closely with me here. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. This is the same guy who just said, I've learned to be content with nothing and I've learned to be content with more than enough. You think he's getting to prosperity here? When he says, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus? Friends, he's not talking about that we'll have plenty of everything that we need. He's not telling the Philippians, you've sacrificed, you're going to have everything you need. God's just going to rain down material blessings on you. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying, you've given to me, and I assure you that God will show you the same grace, the same sweetness of fellowship that he showed to me, and he will sanctify you. He will fulfill your every need. You see, what God shows us when we give is we don't need as much as we thought we did. His grace is sufficient, his presence is rich, and it is enough. This is what it means. We grow as we give. We sacrifice and God graces us with His presence, with more of His presence, and we grow deeply. So, then Paul, he was encouraged by the fruit in their lives. So, 
we, we learn from what they're learning. We grow as we give. And then Paul, he was encouraged. Verse, verse 18, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. The super apostle is looking on this Philippian congregation and rejoicing because they're growing in Christ and they're showing evidence of their faith. The sanctification is shared. They're growing, Paul's growing, Paul's growing, they're growing. These are the blessings of Christian relationships and Christian partnerships. But then needs are shared as well. Needs are shared as well. Here's where the tension is. Paul says earlier, thanks for your gift. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, but yet later... He says in verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. It was kind of you to share my trouble. You see, the truth is, we could, we could do it on our own to some extent, couldn't we? I mean, we could get along, right, on our own. We could stand independent. But what Paul tells us here, this isn't ideal, nor it's God, is it God's intention. Partnerships are not just the result of need, but the result of the fruit and love of God and for God. People who love Christ want to be in partnership with one another, with others who love Christ. So these needs are shared of fellowship and of love. In one sense, it's, this is an outlet. We need to show the fruit of our salvation. And so the Philippians, in the fruit of their salvation, in love for God and for Christ, they give to Paul. They give to Paul. And they not only give these material things, but they give lives. Remember the teaching on Epaphroditus when Byron was here? They didn't send their worst, I'm sure. They sent a guy who was reliable, who they knew would take the money. They shared one of their own people. And so partnerships, and partnerships we share lives, not just money. This is a deep, deep fellowship together and sharing. And lastly, everyone benefits. Everyone benefits. So sanctification is shared, needs are shared, and then lastly, everyone benefits. Now, there were these notions of friendship in Rome, and Paul kind of gets to them in a way and hints at them in this, in this text. If you look closely and... In reading some commentaries, there were these notions of friendship in which people would kind of, they would give gifts to one another. And they, so one person would give a gift and the other person would give a gift. They would exchange resources, whatever the resources may be. But at some point, one person, if they could give a gift that was bigger than the other person could give back, it would turn into this domineering thing in which one friend would actually lord it over the other. And so this was a, how some type of slavery servitude resulted in Roman uh, context. And it would be easy for us to think, well, I mean, the Philippians can't give as much as the super apostle can give, right? Or on the other end of it, the Philippians have material resources. Paul is just a poor apostle. He's a poor preacher. He's not going to ever be able to return to these people what they're able to give to him. This is an easy, easy attitude to have, friends. One person has money. One person has the gift of teaching. One person has the gift of going and being a missionary. 
Is that person who's able to be a missionary ever able to give back to that person who's able to dispense of an, an enormous amount of money? What we need to see in this text and throughout the New Testament is that in this sharing that God has called all of us to is that everyone benefits. There's no inequality. It doesn't matter what you have that you're able to give. It's not less nor is it more from what another one has to give. It's equality. Everyone benefits. How does Paul benefit? Well, he knows people care for him. I've rejoiced greatly that now you've revived your concern for me. Have you ever felt lonely in what you're doing? Anything. Have you ever felt lonely? Have you ever felt like your work wasn't getting anywhere? It was just slow progress. What if you couldn't see the progress of your work until judgment day? How would that feel? Paul is an apostle and won't know until the day of Christ whether his work has actually borne the complete fruit or not. Think he felt a bit lonely? He was beaten, shipwrecked, as we've said multiple times. Beaten within an inch of his life. I think he probably felt like people were against him a little bit. A bit lonely. Well, in this partnership, he knows people care for him. Secondly, his needs are provided for. Now, again, Paul says, it's not that I'm in need. I've learned whatever situation I am to be content. But he also says, I'm, I'm well supplied. I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. And these things are helpful to Paul. So in some sense, while it's not need, it is need. It's helpful for him. He'll funnel those resources in a great way. And so his needs are provided for. Let's make a contemporary application. Again, we said earlier while our father owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the kingdom, it takes money sometimes, right? Most of the time, it takes money. Just This is recent. Since the economy failed, the IMB has struggled with sending missionaries. This is a quote from several years ago. Uh, as the economy began to go down. Today we have more candidates knocking on our door and downloading our applications than ever before. Yet on this day when God has answered our prayers for workers for His harvest, lack of funding has forced us to temporarily suspend categories for service. They've limited the people they're able to give. This is the International Mission Board. In case you're not familiar, it's the Southern Baptist Sending Agency for Foreign Missions. They've limited the people they're able to send. Same is true with the North American Vision Board. They're limited in the funding they're able to give to different efforts in the United States, all over North America. Friends, the missionaries' needs need to be provided for. And it happens through congregations like us. I wonder if there's somebody that you could be funding, that you could be helping. It's going to take effort. And in one sense, it's easier to be so overwhelmed that you don't know where to give. Just give. Find somewhere that's a responsible place to give and just give. Just pick one. They're making disciples. Go with it. Pray. If God burdens you with a particular place, then give there. But give. Don't be paralyzed by the numerous amounts of opportunity. Just give. 
So everyone benefits. Paul benefits. He knows people care for him and his needs are provided for. But let's look how the Philippians benefit from Paul and this relationship, this partnership. Well, their fruit becomes more evident. Paul says, I don't seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. In some sense, there's like this bank in heaven or something, and they're, they're giving, and it increases to their credit. The fruit of the gospel in their life is being seen. This is a sacrifice that Paul says is a fragrant offering. It's a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. You see, God rejoices in this partnership and in the Philippians' giving and their sacrifice. So their fruit becomes more evident. They receive spiritual encouragement. It's verse 19 again, that God would supply every one of their needs. Paul is assuring them that God will fulfill everything for them. Do you remember when we started Philippians? Philippians 1, 9 through 11. This is Paul's main prayer. Will you flip over? We're going to be finished soon. 1, 9 through 11. This is Paul's prayer for them. We need to see this in context of how he closes the book of Philippians. He says in 9 through 11, It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And then... He says in verse 19 of chapter 4, My God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You see what Paul's praying as he closes this entire book? He's saying, I trust that what I pray for you, God will fulfill. He will sanctify you. He will work in you. He will never forsake them. So, Their fruit is more evident, and they're receiving this incredible encouragement and assurance that God will be faithful to them and will continue to work in them. And then lastly, and we'll close, they develop relationships with believers throughout the world through this single partnership with Paul. We haven't even touched 21 through 23. I just want to point out one aspect. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus, Paul said. The, the brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. We believe that Paul is in Rome when he writes this. Rome, the central place where Caesar and his people dwell, where they live. Paul is being guarded by someone of, of Caesar's so-called household, his guarding uh, people, guarding people, and So, Paul sends them greetings from these of Caesar's household. Remember, we've talked about this several times. The Philippians are in a Roman colony where worship of Caesar was demanded. And yet, Paul says, there are people, believers from Caesar's household who greet you. You get the interesting thing about this? The very Caesar that the Philippians are being asked to worship, he has within his own ranks among his servants those who are bowing the knee to Christ. What Paul is saying is that the word of God is powerful and it's even more powerful than that Caesar who's demanding for you to worship him. The Philippians are joining arms with believers who are across the land. 
And by this partnership, they are being encouraged that the Word of God is powerful, that it will not weaken, but will, Christ will be faithful. So in the end, friends, neither the one who receives money or the one who receives the spiritual blessing should feel lesser gratitude or greater guilt. Lesser gratitude or greater guilt. This partnership that we enter into together, whatever side of it you're on, wherever you are in it, whatever you feel like you have to offer or lack of, please, in Christ, friend, whatever gift it is that you have, it's needed in the body and you need to share it. So I hope that you're sharing that faithfully. I hope that you're even spending yourself on behalf of one another. And I hope you see the benefits of these Christian relationships, partnerships. Do you know the secret of contentment? That it's a patient process, that it's learned, that it's not innate. Do you know that it's empowered, that it's not your self-will? Are you being empowered by Christ to be content in Him and only in Him? And then do you know the blessing of Christian relationships? Are you being sanctified with other believers as you join in conversation and then as you join in giving and some type of giving and receiving even across the world. Across the world. I hope you are. We're going to pray. Christians, I invite you to pray, repent if you're not doing these things and sing and rejoice if you are and ask for God's continued grace and work in your life. And if you don't know Christ, if you'd like to talk about that, I'll be here and would love to talk with you and pray with you. Or if you'd like to wait till after the service, I'd be glad to do that. But please, seek Christ. Will you stand? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace to us. God, you've shown it in so many ways. You teach us, Lord, to be content in you. Father, so we're not...